Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher kitshanu b'mitzvotah betivanu, la'asok b'divrei Torah, ve'ha'arevna Adonai, Eloheinu et divrei Torateka, ve'finu ufi amka b'it Yisrael, ve'nie anaknu v'zaetzainu v'zaetzai amka b'it Yisrael, kulanu yodea shemeka ve'lom de Torateka lishma, Baruch atah Adonai, Ham Lameh Torah Leamo Yisrael. Baruch Abba B'Shem Adonai. Well, my name is Amet. I also go by Shomer Man, and I am Amet Ben Mordecai. So, so the Rabbi Rebbe for this opportunity to give a drash on Hag Hamatzot. Man. Okay, so. I want to start off with some things that I did not put in my notes, because that's how it's going to be today. So I want everybody to just buckle up. Uh, we're, we will be flying Shomerman style. So we will land, we will get up, and we will land again, and so, you know, we'll do it. So the Chafetz Chaim is, like, legit. And we, we have these little cards that we put on our tables every Shabbat and Yom Tov about guarding our tongue as we're at our Shabbat table. And they give out weekly emails. And this week, because Hakamatsot came up, uh, they gave out a whole menu of just ridiculous drops of get you some about Lashon Hara and about how we need to unify and also speak uh, Lashon Tova of each other. And so uh, I'm going to give you two or, or a few snippets from it. Uh, the first one that I want to give you is this. It says, likewise, when someone lavishes great care upon another person, damaging that person runs deeply against his grain. So when someone lavishes great care upon another person, the, the thought, the, the inkling of damaging them is like deep in our core, it's against our grain. So it's like, I, I, lo- I love this person so much, I lavish this person so much that I would not do anything to hurt them. Goes on to say, it makes no sense to hurt that which one tenderly, carefully nurtures. Therefore, one powerful preventative measure against speaking onas devarim, damaging words, is to use one's words for the opposite purpose. A person who trains himself to speak words that bring comfort, confidence, and happiness to others simultaneously loses his urge to speak words that damage. May we all be like that. Uh, I believe Shaul was actually the one who said that we need to make the most of our conversation. So anytime we're speaking, to take, take stock of those words. And the final couple of drops that they just put at the very end after they source everything out, they start with Sefer Shemras Halashon, Chelek Beit, Perik 23, that says, One who refines, or one who refrains from speaking Lashon Hara receives an extraordinary blessing. And then Rabbi Yehuda Zev Segal, it says, sounds like Stephen Segal, so Rabbi Stephen Segal, <laughs> anyway. It says, there is no family in the world who studies the laws of Lashon Hara daily who has not seen some form of Yeshua in their lives. Again, that's why he's called Rabbi Stephen Segal. All right, but Rabbi Yehuda Zev Segal. Amen. Also, Sefer Shemras Halashon Chelek Beit, Perik 7. Whoever strengthens himself to correct this sin, the sin of Lashon Hara, evil speech, will have a share in the future Beit Hamikdash. So if you're working on your Lashon Tova right now, then you're going to be perfect for the building of the Beit Hamikdash. May it be soon in our days. Last one from the Vilna Gaon Crazy, from his Igeret Hagra. It says, the main way to merit olam haba, the world to come, i.e. eternal life, salvation, the main way to merit that is through guarding one's tongue. 
This is more important than any Torah or good deeds that he has. Because the mouth is Kadosh Kodashim, holy of holies. Well, uh, Shaul also said that we are temples, so we have to have a holy of holies in the temple. And guess where that is? Right there. So, now to my notes. Baruch Hashem. The reason I wanted to start with that, because these next seven days is all about what we do with our mouth. And so, whatever you get out of today's drosh, and I hope it's a lot, that it's about what we're doing with the Holy of Holies. Because many people want to go into the Holy of Holies boldly before God, like they're Aharon or something. But um, that's kind of weird because, you know, you're not supposed to go in there but one time a year. And when you do, you have to make sure Mem Tet is with you. So that's kind of a thing. But, um, you know, your Holy of Holies is your mouth. And if you want to go into the Holy of Holies every day boldly before God, then boldly use your mouth for Lashon Tovah. Good words, the opposite of damaging, the opposite of dishonoring people, the opposite of slandering people. You know, um, we used to have traffic before the pandemic. And so uh, obviously that has been taken care of now because not a lot of traffic is going on. So there is no time to use your mouth inappropriately on the road. So blessed be Hashem that millions of people have made Teshuva and have a kosher Holy of Holies. All right, so the, the first thing I want to bring up, notice I keep saying Hag Hamatzot because, you know, Pesach technically was last night, you know, and it basically kicked off with the search of the Hamats. And um, once you experience Pesach, now you are literally leaping into the week of unleavened bread. So Hag Hamatzot is literally the festival of the Matzot. The festival of the unleavened bread that we are to eat every day with the help of Hashem. You want to try to make sure that you take at least an egg-sized portion of matzah with each meal. Because when you do, you get to say a blessing that includes the Yom Tov blessing that is amazing to be able to say for this week. So the, the beautiful thing about the importance of how we eat as Jews is so that we can bless Hashem. And so that we can sanctify the time in which we're in. Because on the Hebrew calendar, there are no such thing as holidays, really. They're actually appointed times. That's why they're called Moedim. Because at those points in time, you now re-enter into the holiness, the atmosphere, the saturated energy, whatever you want to call it, of that original occurrence. So right now, we are literally loaded up with our matzah, we're literally loaded up with at least 90 donkeys, according to the Midrash. And we got a whole lot of jewelry. Moshe is somewhere looking for the bones of Yosef. And uh, this, by the way, would be the day that Yeshua's bones were in the tomb. But he's coming out tonight, so Baruch Hashem on that. So everything is really lined up. There's a reason why Yeshua stayed in the tomb on the 15th of Nisan, because that's when Yosef bones were hidden on that day only to be brought forth resurrected literally because the bones rose up on the 16th of Nisan which happened sundown tonight why is that important well the first Mashiach King David he died on a Shabbat so when he died there was not a time to prepare his body sound familiar he was wrapped in linen, kind of like what we did with the Afi Komen last night, which, by the way, Afi Komen rearranges to Kuma Pani, which is arise my face, raise my face. And you can think about Hashem's face, which is may he lift his countenance towards us, shine his face towards us, and grant us peace. So it literally as there's a, pizza matzah, a piece of matzah. So we wrapped that and we hid it away. So that was the same thing that happened to King David. The reason was because his son, Melech Shomo, immediately after Shabbat was to arise to the throne to become king of Israel, literally ushering in an era of peace and goodwill towards all men. The whole entire world was saturated with shalom while uh, King Shomo was in reign. So 
you have this idea and this picture already laid out that the son of David is going to bring peace to the world and his reign is going to start at the conclusion of a Shabbat. So Yeshua, same thing, uh, after the Shabbat of tonight, which is where we start to count the Omer, by the way, that's when Yeshua was resurrected. It was at nighttime. And it's really cool because there was this stone that was on top of his tomb and remember, Mashiach is the well of our salvation. So there was water, or there was a rock covering the water of salvation that had to roll away so that the water could come out. So we'll talk about that in just a second because I actually went back and uh, sourced out some more of the source to Yoma 69b that Rabbi dropped in the Aliyah day yesterday. And I think it's very fitting for our message. So Shem, we'll get to that. But the point is, I want to bring it up because when we're counting the Omer tonight, we're beginning this 50-day process of ascent. And this is stemmed from, pun intended, because it's all about springing forth from the earth, which is what we say, we ask Hashem, bring forth the bread from the earth. First, we have to start out with unleavened bread, and then we lead up to leavened bread, which is the new man that we present at Shavuot. But... In this whole process, as we're in this week of unleavened bread, we're going to have seven days. So in the midst of these seven days, which bring us back to the seven days of creation, because contrary to um, what you may or may not have heard, creation was actually first in thought in the month of Nisan, but it was actualized in the month of Tishrei. This is why when you read the sources about were the patriarchs born in Nisan or were they born in Tishrei? And the answer is like, yes, because like it was really the same thing because, you know, like when you look at the calendar and you line up the months, Tishrei and Nisan are directly opposite of each other. And even the constellations themselves show that as they are appearing in the heavenlies. So you can look at the constellation of Nisan rising above the horizon, and you can look at the constellation of Tishrei lowering beneath the horizon. So you literally have the first in form, the former and the latter rain in the first month, literally just looking at that. So with that being said, we are to take these seven days, and we are renewing the universe. So Rabbi brought down in Cephas Emmis that as we sit Cephas, Amos. Okay, missed my opportunity. <laughs> but uh, at that point, you know, he said that when we sit down to the Seder table, we're, we're bringing forth a new universe order. The thing that we have to understand is that all starts with our minds, which is extended from our hearts, which is where the wellsprings of life come, for, come from, by the way. And then that comes out of our lips, and then that actualizes in what our hands and our feet do, our deeds. And as we do that, we're, we're literally manifesting and bringing forth newness into creation. Right now, we can't see it. Right now, you can't see what's going on in the constellation of Tishrei, but it's happening. Right now, we're focused on Nisan because that's what's up in the heavens. We can see that. But we can't see Tishrei, what's lying underneath. So what I'm getting at is we've been praying for Mashiach, and we don't know when he's going to show up. But remember, we do the Shema, so we're ready whenever he shows up because nobody knows the day or the hour. But that means that by the time Mashiach shows up, it's based off of what we've been spiritually manifesting in a physical world in an invisible way. And that's what's going to actually complete that foundation. So what I'm saying is that as we're continuing to pray and hope for seeing Mashiach, but do we have it in our hearts? Do we have it in our mind? Do we have it in our speech? And do we have it in our deeds? Are we actualizing what life is going to be like when he shows up? Namely, do we know his Torah? Namely, has our hearts been humbled before God? Namely, are we operating in the times and in the seasons that he's laid out for us in his word? Because many people are praying for Mashiach to come back and they're waiting on Armageddon first so that the scene can get ready. And it's just like, that, that does not have to happen. Which is kind of weird that people don't know that. But that's where Jews come in. Because we've known from the whole time Hashem gave us his word that the evil decree can be torn up. 
and it's based off what we're doing with our teshuva. So these seven days of matzot take advantage of every single day. So we're in day one of creation today. This is where light bursts forth from the darkness, bursts forth through it, okay? And so, which, by the way, didn't really have a source on this, but just kind of connecting some dots, it's as if the world, when it first came into being, literally from the first bet of the Torah, that it was like creation sprouted forth during Havdalah, which is interesting because the world started at a point in the evening where it was dark and you couldn't really see and, and there, there needed to be light. And at Havdalah, it's dark and we need to bring the light. And so we have the bracha for bringing forth the light, which is fire. We do the fire uh, blessing during Havdalah. We won't do it on Yom Tov, but um, at the conclusion, going into, uh, basically, we'll get back to that. But what we're looking at here is this picture of when you say who brings forth the lights, okay, bore moreha e, she creates the lights of fire. Okay, so that, the word meore is actually the word for light. And so when we see on the first day of creation, Hashem says, yehi or, may there be forth light. We remember that uh, the original way the light was produced was Hashem gave Adam two stones, which is literally Evan, which is what Mashiach is called, the stone, the the foundation stone, gave him two of those, so there are two Mashiachs, which are actually one, and struck them together. Adam struck those two stones together. It's from Pirkei to Rebbe Eliezer. And fire came forth so Adam could see in the darkness. And this happened also at Ahavdalah, because at the conclusion of our seven days of creation, we had to leave the garden. And it was going to be the first time we left the garden because we sinned and we couldn't stay there. And it was like, there's darkness out there. What if the serpent comes, gets me? And Hashem's like, I'll give you my light. And my light will dispel all darkness and it will also trample upon the serpent. So just kind of an idea that I wanted to throw out there as far as, you know, creation beginning at Ahavdalah. And you have this whole thing, too, where Mashiach was resurrected at Ahavdalah, which was likened to new creation because he says behold I make all things new even as he was on the crucifixion stake it's like it's got to get dark first but then the light's going to come which is why the whole thing about the redemption is about the dawn of it the dawn of the light of redemption redemption happens like sunrise so what I want to do right now is I want to go ahead and go to that Yoma 69b and I want to just kind of read a little bit because one of the things with our mouth is our mouth is what's ultimately going to give us dominion over our Yetahara. And everything about Hag Hamatzot, again, is about our mouth. So what are we going to do with our Yetahara this week is the question. Are we going to create a new world, a new universe order that is dominating their Yetahara? Or are we going to create that new universe order that still is dominated by their Yetahara? wanting to go back to life before the pandemic kind of mentality. Because that's the thing. Hashem has given us this opportunity. He keeps drawing it out. He's like, are y'all going to make teshuva? Like, you know, I originally said I was going to be like three weeks. And then, you know, I was like the three weeks of mourning. But it was like, no, they're not mourning. So let me stretch it out a little bit. And it's like seven weeks. It's like, oh, yeah, everybody needs to count the Elmer. It's like, well, mm, it may be after that. We don't know. And it's just kind of like we should take the hint that, Trying to get back to life as it was, that's not the key. Rabbi Griffin Ben Ellis said the most beautiful thing today. He said the, the, the uh, solution, the remedy, the cure, if you will, to the coronavirus is to crown the Torah. That's what we all need to do. We, we have to cast our crowns. So Yoma 69b says this. Sitting in the temple courtyard is only permitted is only permitted for kings of the house of David. As it is stated, then King David went in and sat before Hakadosh Baruchu. First Chronicles 17, 16. This is important because did not Yeshua sit at the temple and teach all the time? And when they came to capture him, he was like, every day you saw me sitting in the temple and you didn't do nothing. But now that it's dark outside and everybody's, searching for homage, you're over here trying to pull me in. And it's kind of like, oh, so 
Mashiach just confessed that he's king of Israel because he's the son of David, you know. So it says, how then could the priest have been sitting? How, can, how then could the high priest have been sitting? So they're doing this comparison back. If you go back to A, Daf A, it's talking about the Kohen Gadol also having the privilege of sitting. So you have this idea of the Kohen Gadol and the king both having the same privileges. And so it's just kind of an interesting thing. They don't really say, you know, that they're equal or anything, but it's just interesting to read through this and see how they're juxtaposed to one another. Says the Gemara explains, as Rav the said in a similar context, this took place not in the Israelite courtyard where the prohibition against sitting applies, but in the women's courtyard. Here, too, the reading was in the women's courtyard where it is permitted to sit. So the other thing about this, too, is that during the festival of Sukkot, we read what's called the Hakel, uh, and that's where they bring out this big wooden bima, and you sit down and you read uh, sections of the Torah. So going down a little bit, it says there's a verse in Nehemiah. The Gemara interprets an adjacent verse homiletically. It is stated, and Ezra blessed Hakadosh Baruch Hu, the great God, Nehemiah 8.6. The Gemara asks, what is the meaning of great here? Rav Yosef said, Rav said, it means that he ascribed greatness to him by enunciating God's explicit name, God's divine name. The Yodenhe, the Vavenhe. Rav Gidel said he established that one should say at the conclusion of every blessing, Blessed be the Lord, God of Israel, from eternity to eternity. First Chronicles 16:36. So going down a little bit more, it says this: the Gemara recounts an event described in the verse, and they cried out with a loud voice. I want you to hear, too, I keep talking about mouth. I keep talking about crying out. I keep talking about what they're speaking, what they're praying. What kind of prayers are we saying right now? It says, they cried out with a loud voice to God, Nehemiah 9.4. What was said? Rav said, and some say it was Rabbi Yochanan who said, woe, woe, which is oi, oi. It is this, i.e., the Yetzahara, the evil inclination for idol worship, that destroyed the temple and burned its sanctuary and murdered all the righteous ones and caused the Jewish people to be exiled from their land. And it is still, and it still dances among us, i.e. It, it still affects us. Didn't you give it to us solely for the purpose of receiving our reward for overcoming it? Everybody say overcoming it. The reward of the Yetzahara is overcoming it. It's not getting rid of it. It's overcoming it. And again, that comes by your mouth. And so it says, we do not want it. We do not want its reward. We are prepared to forego the potential rewards for overcoming the Yetzahara as long as it departs from us. We're tired of the temple being destroyed. Can Shem take the Yetzahara away, rebuild the temple so it can last forever? And it's like, Okay, if that's what you want, because here's the next part. In response to their prayer, a note fell to them from the heavens upon which is written and met, indicating that God accepted their requests. The word met translates to truth. That's significant because there's a gematria called atbash, where you Spell out the, the Aleph bet from Aleph to Tav going right to left. And then right under it, from underneath the Tav, you go Aleph to Tav back underneath it. So now you have these matching pairs, kind of like we have our Nissan and Tishrei. Same thing with the Hebrew, you can do that. So for every Aleph, there's a Tav. For every bet, there's a Sheen, so on and so forth. It's called Atbash. If you take Chag Hamatzot, which is the festival of unleavened bread, the Atbash of that is Ha-emet, which is the truth. We're literally living in the week of the truth. But we have to seek it out. We have to find it because it's not so apparent up top. It's down. We got to bring it up like the body of Mashiach, like the bones of Yosef. We got to bring it up. And the cool thing about Lapid is that was what we're doing. We're bringing up. We're bringing back observance. 
Torah observance left the body of Mashiach like a few hundred years after he ascended. And it was like, guys, I've only been gone for 300 years, and that's what you do? I think I'll wait a little bit. And we're like, don't wait a little bit. And he's like, well, y'all don't want me because y'all stopped being observant. Y'all stopped partaking of my flesh and drinking my blood. Y'all don't do Pesach anymore. Y'all go hunt for eggs, and y'all go do other things. And it's like, why do I, how can I come back? You're not even going to see me when I get back because there's going to be so much stuff in the way. When unleavened bread teaches us, get the stuff out of the way. Did we or did we not burn our hummus? I hope we did. We got stuff out of the way, and how did we do it? With fire. And we spoke words. We said, Hashem, we can't remove this stuff. You got to. Telling you, y'all, the mouth is where it's at. It's gotten us into so much trouble, but it can also get us into the geula. So quit playing around. Let's do it. All right, so hi, Met. Anyway, so that's the note that uh, fell down when Hashem was like, y'all really want me to take the Yetahar away? He's like, okay, I agree. He signed off on it. So when Hashem writes a Met on a note, that's his signature. That's his signet ring. That's the king seal. That's the ring that Pharaoh gave to Yosef and said, hey, whatever you say, it goes. Okay? Now, obviously, Hashem is not Pharaoh. Pharaoh's not Hashem. So that's kind of different, but just as far as a picture to show you the, the impact of that. Because you realize when Pharaoh gave his ring to Yosef, like he gave him all things. Everything was subjugated under him except the throne, which is the same thing that Hashem says about Mashiach. You know, if you read in Corinthians, it says that Mashiach was given dominion over everything except Hashem. So, I mean, just to think about that, ridiculous. It says, the Gemara makes a parenthetical observation. Rav Hanina said, learn from this that the seal of the Hakadosh Baruchu is truth. And you think about that, too, because in a world that previously before the pandemic was full of lies and they're still trying to fester around, Hashem's seal wasn't anywhere. But now we're given this opportunity to kind of dust off the papers and, and see, oh, Hashem's seal is here. You know, people being in isolation now. After you YouTube void yourself out and Facebook swipe yourself out, you're finally going to be like, well, I don't know what else to do. I done watched my whole DVD set. I done rented all the movies. And now I done done mowed the yard 15 times. And it's like, okay. So Hashem is like, do you see my seal? Because you got a lot of stuff out of the way. It's, It's silent now. Your mind isn't racing because... You don't have to think about, oh, I got this thing to go to. I got this thing to go through. I got this thing to go through. You're now by yourself. And by the way, this was later in my sources. I'm just going to jump, throw it in there. But um, this uh, gentleman by the name of Rav Berg, uh, he, uh, and it says, may his name, uh, may he live a long and good life, amen, which is the acronym Shlita. So if you ever see that acronym, so he has a um, commentary called Veyoat Zenu, and he was talking about everything that's going on with COVID-19. And he said that, isn't it interesting, isolation is a part of this? Like Hashem's hand is in all of this, of course. But one of the things Hashem specifically wanted to happen was isolation. And the word for isolation in Hebrew is bidud. And the gematria of bidud just so happens to be 26. I know it's a coincidence. Not really, because it's not a Hebrew word. 26 is the gematria of the divine name. So Hashem is like, if you can't see my seal, I want you to see my name. I want you to see that as you're by yourself, you are now embodying the Aleph, the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet that speaks about Aluf Shalom, the master of the universe, the master of all creation. And one of the cool things that's happening, too, is that as Jewish communities— we are like those two yodes on the olive that are only separated by a vav. Right now, the vav is Mashiach, and that is the Torah. All of us stay unified and connected to one another through the Torah. That's one of the benefits it is of being a Jewish person, that no matter how long it's been since you've seen so-and-so, if you're both being that yod connected to the vav, no matter at what point you are, because you can rotate the olive and can roll like a wheel, and so if you're the yod on top, you can be the yod on bottom, whatever. As long as you're connected to the vob, you're unified. 
And long as you're doing that, you're seeing Hashem and you're with him. So that's the point of isolation is to be with Hashem. Like we said, crown the Torah. We, we uh, joked about it here before we started service, but he said, you know, the other thing you can do to get rid of COVID-19 is have more minions. I mean, obviously we can't do that in person yet, but use Zoom for a minion. You're using Zoom for everything else, using Facebook Live for everything else. Start the Facebook plague of minions. Start the Zoom plague of minions. Get it going. What is a minion? It's at least 10 people that gather together for the unified purpose of praying. They study Torah. They uh, lift up one another, and, and we speak blessings and things like that. So however you want to do that, get, get yourselves together and spread that throughout the whole entire globe. I guarantee you a globe full of minions who are involved in Torah, i.e. yodes attached to vobs, you're going to create olives all across the world. And when, when Hashem sees, oh, the earth looks like a giant olive, it's like, oh, I guess that's my cue. Like, that's his little landing pad, you know. And being Shomer man, landing pads are important. Can't just land anywhere. Okay? Landing pads are important. So, in response to the indication of the divine acceptance, okay, so Hashem responded. So, here's our response. We observed a fast for three days and three nights, and Hakadosh Baruch Hu delivered the evil inclination to us. Think about that. The very thing that you've been struggling and challenged with every single day of your life, you can't even go to sleep without the Yetzirah trying to choke you out. It's like, all right, you fasted for three days. All right, here's your Yetzirah. You're like, that right here? Like, yeah. Is that all of it? Is there any anything else? And I was like, no, this is it. It's all of it. And it says, a form manifestation. Hold up. The Yetzirah can manifest. Just going to go out on a really, really strong limb, like an oak redwood type limb, put all those trees together, and go out to say, if the Yetzahara can manifest, I'm sure Hashem can. Just saying. All right, so it, it was the form of a fiery lion cub. Isn't it interesting that Hashem is like a, a lion, right? It says that the fire that crouched on the altar was like a lion. It crouched like a big lion. The temple itself, if you looked at it from front to back, it looks like a lion crouching on top of a hill. There's a big opening, and then it kind of narrows as it goes back to the Holy of Holies. But anyway, so it looks like a, a lion. And when we're wrapping to feeling, I'm pointing at my right arm because I'm left-handed because I get to do that, Rook Shem. Anyway, so I put my tefillin over here. It looks like a little lion crouching on my arm. Put a tefillin on top of my head. It looks like a little lion crouching on my head. Two lions, two Mashiachs, Hashem. There we go. So the Yetzahara is a cub, though. It's baby Simba. And Hashem's like Mufasa without the stampede because stampedes don't take Hashem out. Oh, may his memory be for a blessing, Mufasa. Mm, so sad. Okay, anyway, so it's all about life. Mufasa can come back, I guess. I don't know. All right, so the lion cub, which is the Yetzahara, came forth from the chamber, y'all, of the Holy of Holies. The Yetzahara lives in the Holy of Holies. Stop it. Get your own help, because where's the Holy of Holies for us? In the mouth. The place where we put in matzah all week. Okay. Nobody else is excited about that. I will be excited by myself. Anyway, it says, Zechariah the prophet said to the Jewish people, this is the evil inclination for idol worship. Idol worship, i.e., there's an Old Testament. I don't want your word. I don't want your festivals. I got all this other stuff to do. I don't even know what the Hebrew is. Like, okay, all that. Okay? So if you're brand new here, welcome. This is how we get down. But I just want you to know that the very fuel for your evil inclination that resides in the Holy of Holies of every single person is idol worship. The more idol worship you do, the more your Yetzirah is like, gonna be a mighty king like old king was before. Baby Simba, he sang that song because he knew one day he was gonna be king. 
Your Tahara knows that if you keep giving me some idol worship, I'm going to be your king. And then when the king shows up, you're going to be like, I don't know who that is. Why is he here on a Thursday? You mean fifth day? And you mean like Bezrat Shem soon in our days? Anyway, don't let your Yetzirah be a king. Take him down while he's a baby. Okay, it says, as it is stated in the verse that refers to this event. And he said, this is the evil one, Zechariah 5.8. The use of this word, this, indicates that the evil inclination was perceived in a physical form. The evil inclination, based off of Zechariah 5.8, where it says this, like as we say, this, Vezot HaTorah, we said this is the evil inclination. We pointed at the evil inclination and said this is the evil inclination, which indicates that it was perceived in a physical form. Now, isn't it interesting that when we say Vezot HaTorah, Asher Samoshe, Lifnei B'nei Yisrael, Api Adonai, Again, from the mouth of Hashem came his physical manifestation because the physical manifestation lives in the mouth and that came out. And that's what we point at when we point at the Torah. And now you can see coming out of the mouth of the Holy of Holies is the Yetzahara and you can point at it. So it's like, do you want to point at the Yetzahara or do you want to point at Mashiach? I mean, which one? You choose because you get that choice. And it says that they caught hold of one of its hairs or they caught hold of it. Or when they caught, Sika, I'm so excited I can't read. When they caught hold of it, one of its hairs fell, and it let out a shriek of pain. The Yetzahara is so sensitive, but it looks like so, like, I got you. And you're like, it's like ah. One hair fell off this little cub of the Yetzahara, and it was all like, ow, you're hurting me. It said, it let out a shriek of pain that was heard for 400 parasangs. Just going to go out on a limb. That's probably pretty far. It says, they said, what should we do to kill it? Perhaps heaven forfend that we will have, that we, perhaps heaven forfend they will have mercy upon him from heaven since it cries out so much. So, like, we're going to, like, stir up the angels, and like, they're going to, like, come down on us if we don't, like, figure this out because we don't want that. I'm trying to take out the Yetzirah, not ourselves. It says, the prophet said to them, throw it in a container. Did you not say they bottled it up like genie in a bottle? This is why you don't rub genie bottles, okay? Just leave them. Yetzirah in there. Close it up. Now, it says they made this container made of lead. And here we go. And seal the opening with lead since it absorbs sound. This is what I was saying. When Mashiach's body in the tomb, it was sealed. Couldn't nothing come out. But the stone rolled away and he came out. Yet to hard, you close it in, it ain't coming out. So what does it say about Mashiach? He couldn't be closed in. And it says that as it is stated, he said, this is the evil one. And he cast it down in the midst of the measure, and he cast a stone of lead upon its opening. Zechariah 5.8. They followed this advice and were freed of the Yetzirah for idol worship. And that's when it gets into the people were freaking out because nobody went to work, nobody procreated. And it was like, oh, no, mankind's going to end because there are no more babies. It's like, yeah, you got rid of the Yetzirah. Good job. But here's the thing, or a bad job, I should say. Don't get rid of Yetzirah. The thing is that you're supposed to do what Dr. Sakal shared with me from Kiddushin 30B. He says that if you do not engage in Torah study, you are given over to its power, the power of the Yetzahara. As it is stated, sin crouches at the door, Bereshit 4-7. Moreover, all of the evil inclinations, deliberations will be concerning you as it is stated in the same verse, and to you is its desire. And if you wish, you shall rule over it, as it is stated in the conclusion of the verse, but you may rule over it, Bereshit 4.7. Also, it said before this, it says that I created the evil inclination, which is the wound, and I created the Torah as its antidote. So the thing is, Chag, 
Hamatzot is also, without changing anything, Chag Ha-Mitzvot. So the festival of commandments, i.e., if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, quoted by Yeshua HaMashiach. So the point is, is that you can cover your mouth with the matzah, but your yetzahara is going to come out as soon as you stop putting mitzvot in, as soon as you stop putting words of goodness in there. If you start using damaging words, you start changing up, you know, the Torah, start changing up the Bible and start making new religions and faiths and observance and all this kind of stuff. Once you start doing that, the Yetzirah is going to come back out and it's just like, I'm going to take over now because you've told me I could. And that's what you said by what you do. So with our actions, there's that. How much time do I have? I feel like I'm just getting started. We're all on quarantine anyway, so I don't know why I'm tripping. All right, so move to the other cushion on your couch at this point. Stand up, turn around, stretch. All right, Rabbi Pincus Winston, Shlita. <laughs> yeah, don't forget to count the over tonight. Oh, uh, also, newsflash, uh, we will now be changing uh, the second bracha of the Amidah to now just he causes the dew uh, instead of he makes the wind to blow and the rain descend. We will now be switching the liturgy on that for the summer all the way up until we get back into Sukkot, Bezrat Hashem. So just as a heads up, uh, the next time you do Shemone Esrei, your second bracha will be a different line to start off with. So thanks for throwing that out there because tonight, count your Omer. Okay, get your Omer count app and count, use your Sidur, all that wonderful stuff. All right. Count the Omer after nightfall, basically. So, yeah. All right, so Rabbi Pincus Winston, Shlita, may he have a long and good life, amen. He says in his Erev Pesach 5780 commentary, poor people are free people. I just want to stop right there. Because if we're not poor right now, we're, we're getting close to it with everything that's shutting down and coming to a halt. And that's kind of scary because we don't know life as poor people. You know, some of us don't. And it's just kind of like I'm so used to having my own thing and, like, doing my own, you know, uh, schedule and, you know, running my business and holding it down. But the thing is, Hashem has always been there holding it down, okay? But the thing is, we haven't been paying attention to it because we've been focused up here. And Hashem's like, hello, I'm the legs to this walking body you have. And so now... Hashem's like, I need you to just bring your body down. I need you to lay down for a second, like the matzah. The matzah is flat for a reason. It's teaching us something. The Torah scroll, when we open it up, it's teaching us something. It's flat for a reason. You don't see those letters bulging off the Torah going, look at me, I'm a letter. Do me, you know, like observe my commandment kind of thing. Um, but the Torah is laid flat. And the thing is, is nobody can tell you to do the Torah. Nobody can tell you you're doing a good job with the Torah. Only you and Hashem can figure that out, which is why it's all about flat. It's all about laying down. When you lay yourself down, become poor. Yeshua says that blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So when you look at this, you are coming willingly to put yourself in a position to interact with the Torah, you're interacting with the matzah that we're eating. The matzah's flat. We're learning how to be flat in our life. We're learning how to not be so extravagant. Bring it down a notch. Bring it down to the fundamentals and the core of why we exist. We exist for the sake of mitzvot. That's why we start off this seven week or the seven days here of the seven weeks. That's interesting. That we start off by understanding what is the core of who we are. Because as we grow we got to remember our core. And sometimes you get out of alignment and you got to come back to that essential foundation, which is the mitzvah. That's how you build your house on the rock. So uh, the other thing I was going to say is that the matzah and the Torah scroll, they are exactly alike when you lay them out side by side. They both are striped with the lines and they both have letters on them. You know, you got the little holes in the matzah. That's like, teaching you how to follow the line and read the Torah. That's how you follow the Torah. And the Torah 
every letter is sitting on top of a scored line that was made by a thorn, okay? And so you're looking what's on top of the thorn there, and these are the letters. This is the voice of Hashem, the commandments. And so as you're eating your matzah, it's like you're eating a Torah scroll. It's like you're studying the Torah. It's like you're ingesting in the word of God to who you are. And this is what it means to be poor people because the, the manna that we ate, which is the symbolic picture of our, our matzah, is that uh, this is the bread of poor people that ultimately becomes the bread of our very existence, our amuna, our faith. So poor people are free people. And it says it has to do with the Jews' attitude towards materialism. It is supposed to be a physical means to a spiritual end. The physical pleasure has to be a byproduct, not the goal. This is what it means when it says freedom was engraved on the tablets. The Torah approach to life is the path to true and eternal freedom. Because freedom is control over the Yetzirah. We need our Yetzirah. It's like, what are we going to do with it? Who unleashes the bound, said Melek Hashromo over there. It says this, I want to go to one of the things that happened to us when we left Egypt is that, you know, we had all this treasure and all of this amazingness. But in the Midrash Rabbah over here, it says something else that we were with. And what we have to understand is we have this now, too, because the physical things right? They're, they're for spiritual purposes. But the other thing we need to know is we got suits of armor last night, and we can't see it. We don't feel like anything per se has like overtly changed, but it did if you can accept it. You didn't just eat a bunch of stuff at Pesach and just go through some motions. If you really had your mind engaged and if you really were crying out to Hashem, something really happened. You can't see it yet. Bezrat Hashem by Shavuot and on into the fall festivals, you will. And that's what trips up a lot of people is that we go through Yom Toes and then there's a big dropout. And it's like people either leave the faith, people riot against the shul. You can't do that now because you can't come to shul. But anyway, not that you should uh, run away from shul. Don't ever do that. Uh, We'll find you and bring you back. Okay, no, I'm just kidding. All right, anyway, we need to. But... The point is, is that you now have to make good on what you were given. And it doesn't look like you were given anything. And it's like, it's such a struggle. I don't feel up to par. I don't feel adequate. I went through this festival and I I was expecting a shim. Last night, I was really expecting to see Eliyahu. And I thought I did for like half a second because it was so dark. And I was like, is it because Eliyahu's blocking the background? Like he's getting ready to just like, you know, like light bright this thing like just gonna pop on or something but anyway but he wasn't there and it was just like Rukashim, next time we open this door for Pesach in Yerushalayim I pray he's there and 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 Mashiach isn't back yet and I was hoping he was going to be back today but I realized his bones were in the tomb today so it's kind of interesting that he would not break that pattern and do the same thing and it's like okay so if he doesn't show up on the 16th of Nisan okay is that, is that still going to make me lose my faith? Is that still going to make me go, you know what, I'm tired of this Jewish stuff. I'm tired of all this struggle. I'll just go do my, do my own thing, you know? And it's like, no. The reason why you have this time that you have to go through and you have to realize what you were given that you can't see is because Hashem wants to know what you're going to do with the things that you can't see. So when they show up, that that's not going to be an issue. The point that I'm getting at is that when we got to the Yom Suf, what went down at the Yom Suf, the Sea of Reeds, commonly called the Red Sea, that was not an issue for us. When Hashem parted the waters and we walked through it and we picked fruit out of it and uh, Janice and Jamers were doing uh, Doctor Strange type incantations, making war on Hashem, and Hashem sent down other angels to knock them out. And, um, you know, the water was going all up in the air, grabbing Egyptians like they don't care, you know, and pulling them back in, turning them underwater like you do a French press. Like, we just were walking through, we were like, we ate the lamb, we did the Seder, you know, we're counting the Omer, we're diving into a shim, we're covered in all this armor, and we're just going. 
Anybody else who hasn't gone through the prerequisite steps of the Yom Suf, they're all like, oh, what's the water doing? Oh, my, is this like, whoa, you know? By the time you finish your sightseeing, the Egyptians are right there with you, and you're still stuck in the water, and everybody else is gone. That's why it's important not to get caught up in miracles and healings and deliverances and all that kind of stuff, because by the time you finish sightseeing with all that, Mashiach would have already been back. Alambaba would have already been starting. You're trying to figure out, okay, now where do I go? And ain't nobody around. So here's the deal. The things that we can't see. It says we walk by faith and not by sight. So in the Midrash Rabbah of Shemot Rabbah, Parshakitisa, 45.2, it says the children of Israel were stripped of their ornaments from Mount Horeb. And it says... The Midrash explains that Mount Sinai, when the Jewish people accepted the Torah, God clothed them with the splendor of his glory. The Midrash then asks, and what was the clothing? It says that Rabbi Shimeon ben Yochai says it refers to a weapon that the Holy One, blessed be he, gave them upon which the ineffable name was engraved, the olive. This right here, y'all, just think about this. The, our isolation is already the divine name of Hashem. We just went over that. Be dude, 26, right? So the very weapon that Hashem gives us is his name. The very weapon we have right now is isolation. But we got to be able to see it. And it says, Rab Huna says it refers to the belts which God girded them with. Rabbi Simlai says it refers to royal garments. As it is stated, I decked you with ornaments. And it also states, you, Hemarta, Hashem, today. And Hashem, Hemirka, today. So if we go down to the footnotes, it says this. This weapon protected them from the angel of death. While the ornaments were upon them, God would not be able to do anything with them. I.e., we could not get punished for the golden calf until we took this stuff off. Hashem was ready to wipe us out as a people, but we had to take our ornaments off. We had to take our weapons off. We had to take our armor off. Because this is what we got when we left Egypt, by the way. It says we were armed when we came out. The beginning of Parsha Beshalach says that. This proves that the ornaments were things that would make them invincible to any form of suffering for strength. Because uh, the belt that it, we have, we say, Ozer Yisrael Bigbura, who girds Israel with strength in our morning blessings, says that strength is because one becomes strengthened when he dons a belt. And remember, the Torah is the belt of truth. So you put the Torah around your waist, it strengthens you. And it says, we were also given special strength, like superhuman strength at Mount Sinai. Shir HaSharim Rabbah 4.4 and Acre Rabbah 2.17. The Midrash provides a scriptural source for the opinion from Job. He loosens the strap of kings and fastens a belt about their loins. Maharzu to our Midrash, based on Yakut Shimoni, Habakkuk 563, explains that at the time of receiving the Torah, when God loosened the strap of kings, he loosened their belts, meaning he weakened the Canaanite nations so that they would not be able to withstand Yisrael. He fashioned, he fastened a belt about the loins of the Jewish people. And it says, this is a robe with which the Jews were cloaked that would protect them from harm, just as a garment protects them from heat. Okay, so the point is, what we have right now, the very uh, people that we had to go against, our very enemies, the Canaanite nations that occupied Israel, we were leaving Egypt. Shem was like, I'm, I'm equipping you. Here you go. Here's your superpowers. Now go do superhero stuff. And it's like, the Canaanites represent all the embodiments and body parts and limbs of the Yetzirah in the body. So, in other words, when you clothe yourself with the receiving of Hashem's Torah, what you're now going to do is be granted the dominion, the superhero power and ability to overcome all of the body parts of the Yetzirah with inside you, but it starts with your mouth. So the final thing I want to say is I want to go to, well, two final things. Okay, first I want to say that there's one of our letters called Resh, and uh, it's connected to the maror that we dipped last night. 
The reason why we dipped in Maror, shouts out to Stav Soldat, he said that Maror has the same gematria as Mavit, which is death. So we had to overcome death last night. And because of that, in, in the middle of that word that is the same gematria as death, uh, there's, there are two rashes, okay? And what the rash means, according to the wisdom of the Hebrew letters, is, uh, is ex- exemplified in Avodah Zarah 17a, that reports, Eleazar ben Derdiah was known to be a great sinner who pursued his lustful temptations with unbridled energy. Hearing of a seductive, far-off prostitute who charged exorbitantly for her services, he hesitated not a moment to make the long journey and met her price. Strangely enough, it was she, okay, the woman of the night, who told him, that he was so thoroughly sinful he would never be received in repentance by Hashem. We think it's hard when we as Jews hear from other quote-unquote Jews who are orthodox and stringent and all that, like, oh, you're not a real Jew or your mother's not Jewish. But yet this guy has a woman of the night tell him, you can't even make shuva. And his response to her it says he was so deeply stirred by her remark that he decided to make teshuva. Now, if, if he can do that, how much more so can we? Okay, we don't need to let anything keep us away from teshuva. It says that he, he turned vainly to source after source to pray for him. Nobody was receiving this guy. It says he finally came to the realization that the matter depended wholly on himself. Our teshuva depends on ourself. Just because no one is there to help us, we feel like we're in isolation because we are, that doesn't mean we can't. It depends on us. Hashem is like, I'm with you. You got this. So here's the deal. He sank his head between his knees and cried out and wept until his soul left his body. Then a heavenly voice was heard. The guy used to be so wretchedly sinful, and now he makes teshuva to the point of death, and now Hashem speaks like the bot call, the voice of Hashem that speaks from Shemayim, spoke at that moment. And it says, Rabbi Eleazar ben Derdaya is worthy of life in the world to come. Upon learning this, Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi wept and said, there are those who can attain the world to come in many years. There are those who can attain it, but in an hour. And he added, not only are the truly repentant received into the world to come, but they are even called rabbis. Eleazar, his name is very apt for penitent because it's contrast or contraction of the word El Azar, God has helped. If you and I were to look at Rabbi Eleazar ben Dardaya before his conversion through his teshuva, because you realize when he made teshuva that was conversion. Just want to throw that out there. Just because you haven't hit the mikvah yet, just because you haven't got circumcised yet, did you make teshuva? Are you still making teshuva? Because that kind of means you converted. Just want to throw that out there. But before his conversion, um, think about this guy. If he showed up to any one of us, and, and it was just like, dude, I, I don't know, man. Like, I don't hate you, but I also can't say you're my homeboy, <laughs> you know? But yet, Hashem was like, this guy was told he couldn't do teshuva because everything about him was Yetzirah, and all of a sudden he used his mouth to cry out to me, and now I've accepted a man, and he's now a rabbi. And that's the point of what we have to remember, that, you know, no matter how much it seems like we ourselves are so far, I guarantee you none of us are that far from Hashem, like, Rabbi Eliezer was, and Chasbe Shalom that we would be, but even if we were, I mean, the proof is in the maror that we dipped last night. That can be overcame. And, and so may this be a lesson to all of us that the very thing that gives us dominion, the very thing that will cause us to rise up and to bring the final redemption is what we are or what we aren't doing with our mouth. And may it be so that we're using our mouth to speak forth mitzvot, speak forth 
redemption. Speak forth words that heal rather than damage. And I'll end with a story from Torah Wellsprings, of course, become my new favorite source. Rabbi, uh, let's see here. Side note, matzah is supposed to be eaten in a holy place by Eucharist 6, 9. That says that's the mouth. We just read that a while back. Our mouth is holy of holies. Okay. There is a story here that, where did it go? All right, I'll pick up here. It says, Rebbe Simcha Banim of Peshika, may his memory be blessed, taught that generally one doesn't need to be overly machmir, which is stringent. One does not need to be overly stringent. The exception, he said, was Pesach. Since each chamura, and I took out my um, definition here of chamura. Basically, it's, uh, for lack of better terms, going beyond the letter of the law. So being like, okay, here's the halakha. I'm going to be way up here. So that's your chamura. So the exception of your chamura is on Pesach. Since each of those creates an ornament for the kala, which is called by the, which is what the Shekinah is called. It says, although kumrot are essential and we must keep all the kumrots of the family that we were brought up in, i.e. like Abraham, Yitzhak, Yaakov, right? Do what they taught us, which is found in the oral Torah. It says, but nevertheless, there are times when a chumura or chumra may cause harm or distress to others. In this, in, in that case, it is one must reconsider and perhaps ask a question. Because just as we are obligated to keep these stringencies, we must also be cautious not to harm our fellow man. Sometimes people are ready to harm and embarrass others to uphold a stringency. That is certainly taking the matter too far. Embarrassing another Jew is a sin from the Torah. That consideration should come before any custom or stringency. A chatan, a bridegroom, only a couple of a week after their wedding, at his father-in-law's home for the Seder, found a wheat kernel in his bowl of soup. That's important because on Pesach, you should not have wheat uh, mixed in with water because that becomes hamitz. So this happened at the Pesach Seder. It's like the first night. We're going to start off on the wrong foot, according to him says, he found a kernel of wheat in his soup bowl. His in-laws were so embarrassed and excused themselves, saying that they cleaned the house very well, and they don't know how it happened. But the Chatan felt he couldn't trust his in-laws' level of kashrut, certainly not on Pesach. So he took his wife, their daughter, basically, and left the house. This left everyone feeling uncomfortable and ashamed. He went to Rob Shamuel Salant, may his memory be blessed, the Rav of Yerushalayim, to tell him what happened. He was certain that Rav would say he did the right thing. So zealous. The Rav, however, took the Khatan's stremel. This is that big old hat that the, the Haredis wear. So the Rebbe took that, right? And it says, he shook it forcefully, and a few kernels of wheat fell out. As it turned out, when he was called up for his aliyah before his wedding, the Shabbat before your wedding, you're called up to make aliyah to read from the Torah. When that happened to him, wheat was thrown at the katan, and there, and they were still in his big old hat. It wasn't his in-laws who were at fault. If anything, it was the Chatan himself for not cleaning his stremel. This is what it becomes like when we don't take care of our own Kadosh Kodashim. So focused on what 
what we're eating. It's like, oh, is that hummus? It's like, well, did you even get the hummus out of the thing you wear on your head? And that's what it's like when we feel like we've gotten so far, like we're so advanced in this. We got this. I, we were saved years ago, and we're still getting saved. And we, we, uh, we taught people how to do the Pesach Seder. And it's like that should actually make you more poor in spirit. That should actually make you like shmura matzah, like, whoa, like there is no leaven in this stuff. And easily breakable. As we grow, we should be easily breakable, easily make teshuva, because we need to realize that no matter how stringent we get, we can be a piece of wheat and a stremel sitting at a Pesach Seder table, causing the whole meal to become not kosher for Passover because we thought we was all legit. So may HaKadosh Baruch Hu grant us dominion over our Yetzirah this week. May we embody, pun intended, the very thing that we are eating, and may we bring about new order to the universe with the coming of Mashiach, as we all say, Baruch Haba B'Shem Adonai. <laughs>